Hello, everyone, and welcome to the In Defense of Plants podcast, the official podcast of InDefenseofPlants.com. What's up? This is your host, Matt. Welcome to the show. How's everyone doing this week? I'm in a rough place, I gotta be honest, and this episode will tell you why, because uh, what we're going to talk about today hits really close to home, and that is the impending destruction of a remnant prairie. Now, if you don't live in a state where there's prairies, this might not be as obvious to you, but remnant prairies are something very special, because we've destroyed over 99% of prairie on this continent. And what remnant prairies represent are essentially the old growth forests of grasslands. They're irreplaceable. The biodiversity they support cannot be recreated in our lifetimes. I'm of course talking about Bell Bull Prairie. The threat that's being placed upon it is the expansion of an airport to accommodate shipping via Amazon and UPS. And to lose this prairie would be a travesty. Joining us to talk about this is Jennifer Kuroda. She's the president of the Sinisippi Audubon Society, and she is very passionate about biodiversity conservation, not only for her, but for her children and the future. This is a really important issue, and at the end, we talk about a bunch of different ways that you can have input on this process to hopefully save this prairie from destruction. I'm warning you, this is coming up quick. The decisions have to be made before October is over. So I don't want to take time from it any longer. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jennifer Kuroda. I hope you enjoy. All right, Jennifer Kuroda, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's great to have you here. But first, let's start off by telling everyone a little bit about who you are and what it is you do. Sure. My name is Jennifer Kuroda. I am the current president of Sinisippi Audubon, which is a chapter of the National Audubon Society. It is a completely volunteer-based organization, so that is not my full-time job. <laughs> my full-time job is in healthcare. So oh, wow. um, this is just a... Uh, a passion of mine on the side. <laughs> um, I'd love to like switch, make the switch over to a conservation career, but I'm so comfortable in my <laughs> healthcare career that it's just, it's never happened. <laughs> yeah, it happens. But this is a great illustration of just how people from all walks of life can get involved in the environment and nature. And you don't have to necessarily go back to school or specialize in something. You could be from different walks of life, different careers, and still give back in, in some form or another. But what brought you to want to do this? I mean, you've got the human component pretty much down pat by the sounds of it. What brought you to more the nature side of things? I think uh, when I was young, my my grandpa was always was in the backyard birds. So every Sunday was our, our trip over there to get donuts and, and read the Sunday paper because I always wanted to read the comics. Nice. And then <laughs> we'd always have that, you know, the backyard feeder. So we were always looking at the birds and identifying them. And he would also take me around I was born on his birthday so I was the I don't want to say I was a favorite grandchild but I really was the favorite grandchild <laughs> and so he would always take me places everywhere and one of the places was to go to the Wayne Speed store so he could buy his bird seed and I was always you know scooping the bins and getting the bird seed out and so and that was kind of my introduction to, to loving nature that's awesome so really started and continues to be about birds in a big way by the sounds of it. Yes. I mean, I'm getting more into plants after getting involved in this because I'm just uh, curious by nature. And so listening to the botanists talk about these plants and not really knowing what they're talking about is a humbling experience. So I need to learn more. 
<laughs> hey, this is a great place to start. And the fact that you're eager to learn more is already setting you in a direction of success. But I think it's really cool to have that perspective come to the table because most of the people I talk to are plant people first and foremost. That is what they do. That is truly what links them to the natural world. And then everything branches off from there. But for someone who's starting to learn about plants and starting to really kind of understand what is going on outside with the botanical communities, you know, what are these feelings you're starting to have for plants? What, what, what are these moments of discovery kind of like for you at this point in, in, in your your journey? Yeah, well, you really begin to realize just how interconnected everything on the planet is, right? So birds benefit from the plants. And I don't, I mean, I've always known that, but I don't think I really made the connection of how special Balboa was until I had the opportunity to walk out there with Jack White and listening to him talk about the plants that were, you know, in just in this little space in front of him. And the amount of biodiversity in that, it just is it's overwhelming, really, when you listen to that. And to think that Belbo could go away and here's this like little tiny mini rainforest, if you will, right in our backyard that we're set up to destroy. It Yeah, it just became so emotional for me. It was, um, it, I think it was at that. I mean, I always knew I wanted to help with this initiative. Someone had reached out to me and asked me help with it but I think I became even more passionate about it when when Jack talked about the plants there and talked about how special Belleville Prairie was and I would encourage anyone to go out with somebody who really knows prairies um, because I think that's when you can learn about them and and kind of really make that connection of just how special um, a place like Belleville is. I love that because when I give talks or try to kind of talk to audiences that are outside of, you know, horticultural groups, gardening groups, botanical groups, I always say that plants are the reason I'm rooted into whatever area I'm in at that point in time. It doesn't mean I'm only interested in plants, but they're a great jumping off point. But any organism can kind of function of that. And as you mentioned, these interconnectedness, uh, those moments when you realize just how connected everything is really drives that point home. And it, it, it makes situations like what we're about to talk to today all the more pertinent and all the more uh, emotional I guess too even if especially if it's something that you can go and see it day to day and you're you know where you live right right well yeah there's I mean there's species of plants that don't exist unless another species of plant is there right to support it <laughs> and there's insects and birds and and it, and it all like works together and it, it really is quite amazing when you think about it and in order for us to continue to able to see things like that and learn from things like that. We need to be able to protect them so they're here for us in the future. Yeah. And I mean, as someone that's involved in human healthcare, you see it first and foremost, just how much humans really do rely on nature, whether they realize it or not. I mean, what's going on outside of our doorsteps and our windows really does come back to affect us, whether that's indirect or immediate or down the road decades, you know, it, it's, it's, we're all part of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, we're actually working on a really interesting program at work with the physicians and it's called Park Rx and it really is um, about prescribing nature <laughs> to patients. And you've got this massive amount of chronic disease in the United States, like whether it's um, diabetes or COPD or um, heart disease, all of these things uh, or depression is a, another big um, like comorbidity with some of these chronic diseases. To get people outside in nature, there's so much 
research out there that supports how beneficial it is to to be outside and make that connection and how it lowers blood pressure and it gets you to be more active than if you go in the gym. So you go in a gym, it's kind of, you know, you're on a treadmill, it's kind of boring, but if you go outside and you're walking, you're engaged and connected and you might actually walk longer than you would on a treadmill. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do more, more exercise in my botanical adventures Mm -hmm. than I do (laughs) ever intentionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But the reason we connected today and the, the, the point we're really trying to um, emphasize here is the protection of something you just mentioned, Bell Bull Prairie, which really hits close to home to me, having been in Illinois, having seen remnant prairies. I mean, there's nothing that could have prepared me for how special and, and really how rare these ecosystems are. So the reason we connected was because of a specific remnant prairie, Bell Bull Prairie. Do you care to tell us a little bit about this space, where it is, and what's going on that uh, people need to be paying attention to? Sure. It's located out at the Chicago Rockford International Airport. It's a small prairie, but small but mighty. <laughs> um, there's 25 acres and five acres, um, and it's all um, considered High quality, although the highest level of quality really is that part that sits on the bluff. That's the Gravel Hill Prairie, and that's about 4.88 acres. Hmm. And it is a part of an expansion plan that the airport has developed, and the plan is to build over the prairie. So I became involved because somebody reached out to me, it's probably been about a month or so ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer because I, I think I made the post about a month ago through Mississippi Audubon and said, hey, can you help us reach the media with, with this and what's going on at the airport? And I said, sure, what do you want me to do? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, it's I've always known Bell as a great place to go birding, never made the connection to the Natural Land Institute or that it was called Bell I just knew if you went to this location at the airport, you'd see good birds. Um, there's a, a family of kestrels kind of uses that area as well. So they're always hunting down in the prairie. It's fun to go out there and watch. Um, spring bird count is held out there. I know it's part of the Christmas bird count route too. So I've always noted as a unique place to bird. Um, and now it's just so much more because it includes those plants and it, it could go away forever. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah, it was really alarming when I first learned about it again, because of that realization of of being in a prairie state, seeing what remnant prairies have compared to what we attempt to restore. Not to say we shouldn't restore, but they are a far cry from what a remnant prairie truly has. And and one of the analogies I really like hearing from people is that this is akin to destroying an old growth rainforest. You don't recreate these things overnight. But in the context of what's going on at this airport, I looked at an aerial map and it looks like this this prairie is smack dab in the middle of two runways. So it was something that was sort of protected to begin with. But why is the airport now threatening its survival? I mean, what about the human world or our economy, I guess, would be the better way to frame that, is, is putting this prairie in peril? Rockford Airport has really become a, an international cargo hub now. Hmm. So there's a lot of cargo that is moved in and out of the airport. So you, there's Amazon out there, there's UPS, there's international companies that are coming in that are logistics cargo companies like DB Shanker and Senator International. So the expansion is to benefit those companies. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect example of, you know, what you do in your home can really affect the world around you. And 
it truly is this almighty dollar sort of you vote with your wallet when you are asking these companies to do more and get things to you quicker and in higher volume. I mean, these are the things that end up happening is that space needs to be devoted to accommodate that capacity, but it comes at the cost often, you know, great cost to the environment. And what sucks is you see a lot of conversations about sort of protecting these large swaths of land, these massive chunks of of habitat, which we should by all means. But what often gets ignored is little remnants like this, little chunks that hold on to something truly special that, as we kind of hinted at back and forth here, can't be found elsewhere. And so you mentioned you go there for great birding, for instance. I mean, you mentioned the kestrels, but what, what kind of other birds can you expect to see in a habitat like this that you really can't find in that fallow field at the end of the subdevelopment, you know? Yeah, so there has been documented cases or documented sightings, if you will, of the black-billed cuckoo, which is a, a threatened species in the state of Illinois, the loggerhead shrike, which is an endangered species in the state of Illinois. And these birds are hard to find in other locations. So it is thought that the the black-billed cuckoos have nested out there. Um, they've been oh, wow. seen with nesting material, and it is just a perfect habitat for them. Um, otherwise, other birds, I mean, there's all sorts of grassland birds that benefit from that habitat, and we've seen a huge decline in grassland birds over the past several decades. So um, it's important to preserve the grasslands mm-hmm. for these species. Otherwise, you might not see an eastern meadowlark or a bobolink or any of those species that are using that habitat. Yeah, when you see the numbers of the decline of species like that, it is terrifying. I mean, like upwards of 80 to 90 percent in some instances. And you know, I'm really happy we're talking about this because it's a soapbox I'm on all the time that people probably have heard me say time and time again. But when we talk about the loss of species like birds, it's the leading cause really is that habitat loss. But then everyone just kind of keeps on talking about the birds without saying like, oh, that habitat, by the way, is that remnant prairie are that assemblage of species that really have come together over thousands of years. I mean, I can't emphasize enough how much you can't even though we should be trying time and time again, you can't bring this back overnight. Right. And I think another impact to the habitat loss is climate change. Mm. And so when you have climate change happening in conjunction with habitat loss, it's the birds are shifting too, right? So you have species that you'll see here in Illinois that never really used to be here in Illinois, but because of the climate change, you know, their, their ranges have shifted over the years. Um, So they might not want some of the habitat we have here. They might, you know, like, so they might want some other habitat that sustains them. And some birds are much more adaptable. You think of a species like the peregrine falcon, which is adapted to urban life. And some species are just not adaptable when you think of something like the sedren, who uses the, the prairies, which are disappearing. So if you want to see all of those birds, we have to preserve everything, right? Right. And I always think about like the movement of species, especially in places like northern Illinois, where development's pretty, I mean, everywhere in Illinois, development is pretty high. But when you think about how a species has to move, you know, they can't move from our house to the neighbor's house to this, unless people are planting native plants, which they should. Uh, But habitat represents those stepping stones. And the more of that we knock out, the harder it is for them to, you know, deal with the changes that come with things like rapid climate change, which is happening faster and faster every year. Right. And I think of uh, species like the cerulean warbler that uses our flyway that depends on this fragmented habitat to stop over it. And and when you're eliminating the small, even the small fragments that we have left, that it stops to 
uh, refuel on its trip to South America, you're, you're going to eliminate those species as well, even though I think we do have a, a Cerulean Norber that um, breeds in Winnebago County. And I don't know if that nest site is still active, but you don't see those birds very often. And so eliminating habitat uh, that they need is, 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 cru- is I mean, it's crucial to, to protect that habitat. Yeah, you can't have these species without the habitat they need to find food and breed. But it, it, it goes so much farther than birds even. I mean, what I'm hearing now is that this is a site where the rusty patch bumblebee has, yes. has been too. I mean, this extends into insect communities, especially pollinators, which everyone should be up in arms about the decline of insects just as much as they are about birds, right? Right. I almost feel like this uh, rusty patch bumblebee could save the prairie. Huh. I feel that's what this, this, I feel like that's what's going to save the prairie. I think there's so, I mean, it's a federally endangered species. Um, there's been a lot of work. There's actually a current lawsuit against U.S. Fish and Wildlife for their failure to protect critical habitat for the rusty patch bumblebee. And, and this bubble prairie, this gravel hill prairie is essential to their survival. And I think I read some staggering statistic, like 87% of the rusty patch bee population has declined in the last 20 years, which is, yeah, it's depressing when you start yeah. to think about that. Even in our lifetimes, how many species have gone extinct? And I would hate to have to add that to the list as well. When we know that there's habitat here that we can protect to help that, that bee survival. Right. And I mean, we're, we're talking about this on the wake of all of these uh, discussions and articles coming out about even the American bumblebee being slated for the endangered species list. And, you know, where does it end? I mean, is this something, a trend that's going to keep going? And, and when people go like, well, well, what can we do? I'm like, well, you could protect habitat like Bell Bull Prairie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and bees are essential to, to pollinate this, the, the plants that are out there to keep those plants surviving. So I guess I don't you know it's it's uh it's a depressing thought to think of of what we're about to lose if um it's not protected and then what do you do to continue you know to to make people aware of this issue because I feel it's I don't know I just feel like more people should be up in arms about what's happening out there locally um yeah. Well, I mean, one of the reasons I connected with you is because everything I've read so far, you seem to have the most rational take on the subject. Uh, what, what pains me nowadays is that everyone seems to be kind of compartmentalized into whatever group they belong to. And a lot of these articles I read, I'm like, that's great. But anyone, you know, the people you're trying to reach probably tuned out within the first few sentences because of something you said about capitalism, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, and I'm, I'm struggling with it here with this podcast every week is trying to reach people that need to hear this kind of message. And, you know, this is why I think it, having people on that can talk about a wide range of how this habitat affects it. I, you seem to just have such a good level head, despite the depression, you know, what in this fight really keeps you going? Because obviously you've got an entire career to worry about. You've got your home yeah. life to worry about. You've got Audubon to run. I mean, what what gets you kind of fired up about this uh, to, to fight this fight, to stand up and say something as as part of you know a citizen? Well, I have two children. So I mean, that, that to me is like, and I didn't think about this before I had children, but it's like, what do you leave for the future? Right. And here's your children. And, you know, we've already seen so many species go extinct and seen so many of our natural resources disappear. 
and habitat loss. And I feel like I need to show my own kids that I've done something to try and help prevent this. And I think we all should do that for our children. I know, you know, sometimes the immediate need is, oh, I need to pay bills or I have a house payment or I have something like that. But you lose your natural resources and the state of what we could see the economy in and all of these other things is, I don't, you just have to, you have to see that, you have to really see that big picture. I'm flattered that you said that, that I have a level head because sometimes I don't think I do, but uh, <laughs> I just feel like one of the, one of the reasons really is, is like our, our future generations and what are we leaving them? And, um, and I do have this connection to the natural world. I really feel um, like we don't respect it enough. Yeah. Um, I get disappointed yeah. when I actually took my daughter for a college visit in uni- at University of Chicago last week. And I, it was, um, it bl- kind of blew my mind to see how much garbage and trash was littered all over the streets and in the parks. And I just wanted to get out of my car, <laughs> grab a garbage bag and start picking things up. Yeah. So I, I don't understand yeah. that disrespect for the world we live in. Like, and it, it angers me when I see people throw trash out their their car window or cigarette buds. And I just feel like it's so simple to try and just do the right thing. Like when it comes to something like this, it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't take a lot of your time. And if you really want to protect our planet for the future, we really need to be doing more of this. Yeah. And I mean, a message like that hits home so hard in a state like Illinois. When you think about what previous generations have left for future generations because you hear the statistic that only 0.01% or something like that of prairie is left and <laughs> Bell Bull Prairie represents part of that tiny minuscule fraction of a fraction right. and to think that it could just go poof literally overnight I mean a bulldozer could take that site out in a day um, is, is really yeah, I don't even yeah. Yeah. I, I don't even think it'd be a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean half a work day, right? Yes. I mean, it is terrifying to think of how quickly this could go. So with that in mind, I mean, what is the timeline on this? I mean, there's obviously a lot of pushback, which I'm really, you know, uplifted to see how many people are fighting against it. But what what does this timeline look like for the impending doom of this amazing irreplaceable habitat? Uh, November 1st is the deadline. I know we um, some documents were FOIA'd, and originally U.S. Fish and Wildlife had said October 10th, which is why when I first heard about it, I thought our deadline was October 10th. So there was this kind of um, frantic rush to get information out. And then November 1st kept coming from the airport, and, and that really is the extension from the IDNR. So there has been a temporary, even though it was... Ex- October 10th, that was temporarily also extended until November 1st. So that is the deadline, if you will, um, that they could potentially bulldoze. And I would expect that they would come in at midnight and do that before anyone could do anything. I I do drive by the prairie daily just to make sure they haven't (laughs) like gone through there yet because there's all, there's this fear, right? Because originally we all thought it was October 10th. And now that it's been extended, and I know I've I've heard things that the that the airport uh, you know wants to get this project moving and wants to get it done and perhaps all this pressure that we're putting on our legislators and people locally and their um, airport commissions board is irritating to the executive director. So I've heard that potentially he might just say I'm just going to go plow it now. 
Um, thankfully, that hasn't happened, but I do do a drive-by just about every day just to make sure that there's not a road through that prairie yet for my own peace of mind. Yeah, Ugh, that is scary. I mean, I think about, you know, driving through my neighborhood and being like, I hope no one's taking that tree out, you know, that kind of thing. And it's one yeah. tree, let alone, uh, you know, this thousands of year old prairie uh, remnant here. And and what bothers me is, you know, the the sort of lip service that groups do to kind of, oh, well, don't worry, we'll move the species. Like they're going to try to relocate. I mean, they're trying to feed us this stuff that, you know, the the average listener, the average person that just sees this in passing, well, oh, well, all right, that's fine. But I mean, you can't do that. That's you can't the, the the idea of replacing something like this or moving things away and saying, well, it's just as good as before is so ludicrous. It is. And it's unfortunate because I think, like I said, I have always known it to be a good birding place. I think to the average person person driving by that area of the airport would just think, oh, it's a field of weeds. Mm. And so I think to try and get that message too of like, it's more than just that. I mean, there's so much out there worth protecting is, is so important. But I think, you know, the airport has done a good job of removing information from their website about Belleville Prairie. <laughs> It's done a good job over the last decade of of not really publicizing that they've got this special piece of property out there. And before I think, you know, when George Fell was able to protect it in the in the late 60s and the agreements that they put in place with Natural Land Institute, um, they were proud of this little piece of habitat out there. And of course, over the years, executive directors have changed, staff has changed, so things have changed. And I think it's just gotten forgotten. And I, I feel like now's the time to re- to revive like the importance of this prairie and get the message out and get people to understand that it is super special and we need to save it totally and with that in mind i mean my listeners come from all over the globe obviously illinois is far away from many and a, a remnant prairie is is very isolated from even people in other parts of illinois but for those listening that really get fired up about this stuff and rightfully so would like to do something about it, I mean, I mean, what are the kind of actions that can uh, the average listener can do, even if they don't live in Illinois, to halt or stop even the destruction of this irreplaceable habitat? Sure. I um, encourage people to reach out to our governor, to some of our local legislators who would be the mayor of the city of Rockford, um, although he's been pretty silent on the issue. <laughs> Um, I would encourage people to re- reach out to the airport board commission commissioners. Um, I, I'm sure they've been told not to respond because I have not received a response from any of them as well. Mike Dunn is the executive director. I'll definitely email him. <laughs> <laughs> and Senator Durbin, Sherry Bustos, Senator Stottleman. I mean, who else is on our list? Uh, Representative Dave Vella, Representative Maurice West. Um, they all have... Um, local ties to our area in terms of legislators. And if you are in the state of Illinois, the Illinois Environmental Council has put out a great action alert on their website that you can sign. And that letter that you sign off on um, goes directly to um, Governor Pritzker and several of those legislators that I mentioned are on the list as well. Excellent. And if you could send me a link to one of these lists or at least yes, send me an email. I would love to put this up so that I save all the people the trouble of having to do that research on their own. I love to just give them something to do. 
Um, but yeah, yes. I mean, these are the kinds of things that I, I think are actionable items, even if you're not, you know, like I think my friend Robbie said, you're not going to go chain yourself to a big blue stem, but <laughs> you know, annoying the heck out of oh. people that can then make other people's life hell for a little bit until something happens is a great solution to this. It is. And um, there is a new website too called savefullbellprairie.org. So it has a lot of those resources listed on there. Um, so it has definitely the contact list. Um, it has a link to that IEC um, action alert. Excellent. And and before I let you go, because you're a busy person, you got a lot on your plate. I mean, how are you doing? How are you holding up? I mean, this is a, this is a weight to carry. And it's not just you. I know that. But you know, you told me you're driving by this place every day. You've got kids that you want to show the stewardship of the landscape to and show them that things can happen. I mean, how are you holding up in all of this? Because it's it's a lot. It, I mean, it hurts me. And I'm not answering emails and stuff about this as much as you are. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm doing well. I think there are some days where you're just burned out and you have to tune out for a bit. And I do that. I also have a miniature horse. Oh. I I swear, like, I always end my day out because he needs medication right now. So I always end my day out at the barn. And if you can get yourself a miniature horse, it's a great stress relief. (laughs) So uh, I do do believe in animal therapy, I guess, because he's fantastic. I will Um, say, (laughs) miniature horses are the only horses that don't scare me. Uh, there, uh, yeah, he's super sweet. Aww. So he he's not he's not scarable. I do want I, you know I, I get, you know I just wanted to add one last comment. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, yeah. George Bell was so persistent, and I think you know that probably inspires me a little bit. I can be a kind of a persistent person <laughs> sometimes. So I, I relate to his persistence in trying to save this prairie, and at the very last minute, it it really came down to him standing in front of the foreman, you know, in front of the bulldozers and saying, Hey, please stop, please stop and and talk with us and let us find a way to preserve this prairie. And I feel like they they did it before, you know, George was able to save it before. I feel like it's possible to do that again. I'm not saying that we're going to go out and stand in front of bulldozers. (laughs) I guess that's a possibility, (laughs) but I, I do think that it's our our local leaders and legislators need to listen to the people that want to save this piece of land. And um, so far, I don't think any of us have been given that opportunity to really express why we want to save it. And they've listened to, to that conversation. They haven't been to any of the public meetings. Um, we did have a meeting with Senator Steve Stadelman, Representative Vela, and Representative Maurice West. But, you know, when you have those type of meetings, they're they don't really respond to the issue. They just kind of listen to what the issue is. Um, I would love the opportunity to to have our local leaders and legislators actually answer some questions yeah. <laughs> and talk to us and hear what these plans are that other people have stepped up to the plate and said, hey, let us help you come up with a plan to redesign the airport so we can preserve Belleville Prairie and hear us out. So far, no one's hearing us out. And that's really disappointing because the the period of public comments was in 2019, but the only organizations that were notified about the environmental assessment and the expansion were public agencies. So none of the little local Hmm. nonprofit Hmm. conservation organizations really knew this was going on and nobody's really had a chance to hear what we have to say. Wow. That's, 
Uh, it's very frustrating, and I'm, I'm with you. I, I would really like to hear some actual answers instead of just going, hmm, okay, you've been hurt, okay, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But that's a really good point to bring up here is, you know, this is really a case of capitalism versus conservation, and it, it it's easy to get kind of stuck in this black and white. Well, you either allow this to expand and allow the economy to grow, or you protect this prairie and, you know, ruin jobs or something. But it sounds like... There are options out there and they just don't want to hear them. They can redesign this so that it's not affecting this prairie. Um, you know, it's it's one of those. It sounds just like convenience and, and saving as much money as they possibly can to profit off of versus, you know, hearing people out, letting a conversation happen to try to find some middle ground so that this prairie can continue to be a prairie like it has been for thousands of years. Right. There's definitely other options. And I even heard several years ago, the, the plan was to expand east into the railroad track. So if you see the layout, that east expansion would have bought out the businesses along that side of the airport and 100% preserved the prairie. So what happened to that expansion plan? <laughs> I have so many questions that I want answered by those that you know made these decisions. And, and so far, we haven't gotten any answers. I, I do believe there's a, a way to preserve the prairie and get what they want too, which is right, expand and revenue and all of that type of thing. But I do believe that there are there are ways that we could save the prairie. And that's really important to emphasize here is that this isn't a no, nothing. You can't develop no expansion because unfortunately, those arguments are so often completely ignored. There is middle ground here to some extent, but people need to listen. They need to get over the convenience of of avoiding you know tough conversations that sort of thing right well jennifer i can't thank you enough for having these conversations and for taking the time to do this out of what is a very busy life i'm assuming <laughs> you know kids is busy. horses a job you know these are, these are things that uh could weigh any person down to the point where they're just apathetic when they get home but i i'm so thankful for you i'm also very thankful that you don't do this in a tribal way in a way that will speak to more people than just people that think exactly like you you know this is something that you can be proud of you should be proud of and something your kids can look at you and say thanks mom yeah yeah, I, I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I feel like if you have a passion about something, and even though I don't know much about plants, <laughs> I have a passion to preserve what we have. And so you don't need to know a lot about botany or birds or anything to become involved in this project. You just have to care. Well, it's very obvious that you care. And I thank you again so much for taking time to talk with us about this. Um, if there's anything you'd like to leave us with in terms of like more resources to look up, more to find out about your Audubon chapter and what work you do, let us know. Sure. I'll definitely send you the link so everyone can find them on your website. Yeah. <laughs> I put up links for every show so that people can go directly to indefenseplants.com and find okay. everything they need for these conversations. So again, yep. thank you so much. I really appreciate it and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Of course. For your podcast. Well, yep. in the meantime, hang in there, stay healthy, and uh, yeah, get some rest when you can. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Cheers. <sighs> All right. It's tough stuff, but people like Jennifer are super inspirational, and I can't thank her enough for taking time to talk with us, but all of the effort she's putting in to protect this remnant prairie. I can't emphasize enough how special remnant prairies are and how irreplaceable they are. We should be restoring prairies, but they are a far cry from protecting intact habitat. 
and all of the species that rely on it, from birds to bumblebees and even the microbes in the soil. These are irreplaceable. Of course, all of the links are in the show notes for this episode. I highly recommend wherever you live that you reach out to these people and tell them how important it is to conserve habitat. We can't have biodiversity without habitat, and plants comprise that habitat. So please, once again, indefensiveplants.com slash podcast, check out the links, send the emails, get involved if you can. But that is it for me this week. Of course, please consider supporting the show, but otherwise hang in there, stay healthy, and be good to each other. This is your host, Matt, signing out. Adios, everyone.